Heritage Media. Hi, it's Carly here. I just want to pop into your ears and let you know that in this episode you're about to listen to, we do talk about mental health, depression and suicide. If you or someone you know needs help, please reach out to beyondblue.org or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. True to our heritage style, we like to talk about our people and our culture, our locals, our community. And today's episode, albeit a little bit different, is still about that. It's about Crystal, who works for us, and she's a domestic violence survivor. And we're going to talk to her today about her childhood and what she went through to get to the other side, where she's now a huge advocate for women and children and domestic violence survivors and helping them find placement when they've got nowhere else to turn. Enjoy. So where did you grow up? I was born in Cogra and between the ages of newborn to nine, moved back and forward from Musselbrook to Sydney. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, we settled on the Central Coast when I was about nine. Yeah, okay. Lived in Gorican. Yeah. Then my mum met my stepdad and we moved to Lake Mamora, Chain Valley Bay. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. I did move out of home, but... Yeah. Do you have a big family, siblings and... I have um, a brother and a sister and two stepbrothers. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when you were moving in between Musselbrook, what was in Musselbrook? Uh, My dad. Okay. And then mum's in Cogra. So you're just um, kind of between the two? No. So my um, family history is domestic violence. So my dad was... Um, a very violent alcoholic Um, and so we kind of would try my mum obviously did her best trying to keep the family foundation together but would have to leave and sort of come back and leave and come back Mm -hmm. over many years yeah and was that all you knew growing up or was there a moment sort of in your early childhood where you have a, a, a memory where it sort of turned overnight Oh, God, I think my earliest memory of that that alcohol abuse and violence was probably as young as about three. So it's kind of just all you knew. Yeah, yeah. I knew it wasn't right, but I, that's what I knew. It's what happened. Mm. I knew how it sort of – I knew the pattern, unfortunately, from a young age. Yeah. And then my mum had my brother – so there's four years difference between my brother and I and, you know, I sort of become his little protector. Yeah. And, yeah, grew up real quick at a very young age and learnt a lot about life. You would have had to learn very quickly how to read a room. Very quickly. I didn't like to leave my mum's site really, so I, I didn't have – I didn't like sleepovers. I didn't like friends coming over. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like leaving to go to friends' houses. So I was mm. quite isolated, I would say, yeah. um, as a child. But even just picking up that tension in the room or the preempting that that would have been something that you... Yeah, I guess you just knew, mm. yeah. I don't recall feeling that angst. Yeah. Um, and did you find that it was quite with your mum it was quite insular or did she have help of like your grandparents or shelters around or was it very just something that was stuck behind closed doors and yeah look um her family did know and my auntie who is my little savior um did everything she could to help unfortunately with um domestic violence there's usually an art of manipulation in there And so there's that tug at the heart of, you know, it'll never happen again, I'll be better, you know, the kids need their parents together. Um, And also for a single mum, especially back then, like Mm. there was not much support. You were doing it all on your own. There was nothing Mm. to help. There was no packages. There was no emergency housing. There was nothing. Yeah. So that 
that isolation on your own without that second income or that second support was almost as daunting as the fist in your face. Yeah. So it was a very, you know, it was a really hard time. Mm. So this went on sort of from what you remember around three when you were quite aware of it till about nine? Yeah, when my mum finally left. Yeah. Um, we did live in a women's refuge yeah. for some time. That was interesting. Was <laughs> it busy? Like were there a lot of women and other kids there or was yeah, it just so you guys? Yeah, so the place was full. It was a shared style um, women's refuge, so, mm-hmm. which is quite common still these days. It's a big house. You have a room one bedroom with with the the uh, mother and the children and you have a shared living space shared kitchen yeah so how long were we in the refuge for oh look i'd like to say six months but that's over dramatizing it i don't yeah. recall it was some time yeah um yeah and it, during this time you're obviously still going to school you're still doing all that stuff that kids have to do but it was quite an upheaval I, um, I didn't go to school. I was a really protective child. I was the eldest, so I was really protective of my mum at that time and, and I didn't want to leave her side. So I didn't go to school during the time we were at the refuge. Yep. Uh, it wasn't a long extended period of time though. Mm. But my schooling had been quite disruptive up until that point anyway. So was the refuge a refuge, like away from that or was yeah. it still? Yeah, I do. I do recall and I'll never forget that feeling of relief like, it's done. Like we're we're done. Mum's finally done. Yeah. I love my parents. I still love both my parents dearly. Um, you know, we can touch on on support for both mm. survivor and perpetrator. But um, I didn't want them together. It was toxic together. Mm. It wasn't right. It's not how family units lived. Yeah. Um, so then they were better off apart. Yeah. So the first night, do you remember the first night in the refuge? Uh, yeah, it was hard. So my mum had had my sister by then. That was, that was So we're eight years apart. Um, so there was me, um, my brother, who was four, and then my newborn sister, little baby. Um, we didn't have anything, you know. You pack a bag, and I mean you literally pack a bag. Um, I left... For me, this was so traumatic, but I left all my Barbies and all everything. Yeah. I didn't need it. I needed some clothes, a Barbie, my Doris, which is my Cabbage Patch doll that I've had since I was a baby. <laughs> um, and off we went. You yeah. know, that was it. You don't, you don't have anything, but it's peaceful. It's a peaceful night. Yeah. But then once you do become... Um, you find a, a safe space, there comes that all those emotions come up for so the, for the survivors um, and it's quite traumatic again once you have broken from that cycle. Is it because you've got time to actually exhale and yeah, look back retrospectively to. and you've got time to think? Yeah, and you've got to work through it. Um, these people are broken, broken. Their souls are destroyed and that's all part of that cycle of getting into that situation. Um, they've broken down. Their ego's broken down. Their self-respect, their everything that they have is broken down and you feel worthless. You believe you're worthless and there is nothing. Um, for my mum, the only way for her to move forward was us three kids. She had to keep putting one foot forward mm. because there was no other options. So you mentioned that you had a baby sister for your old brother and you were about eight. Yep. Was your baby sister, was that kind of a catalyst for the change to happen, to finally leave him and go to the refuge? Or uh, I, I don't know. I've never asked her what that breaking point was. Um, potentially the throwing down the stairs and breaking mm. her head open on the washing machine, maybe. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And when you're at the refuge, is there lots of count- – count- was there, back then, was there counselling? Did you no. have therapists? Or? No, not for children. Um, potentially for my mum, there was none for children. Um, I believe there's a, a shift in that now, which is great. Um, I think uh, facts spoke to me about my welfare once, Mm. but that was it. Yeah. 
So when you're at the refuge, is that where you get a chance to kind of look at rebuilding your life as far as housing, furniture, clothes, just getting set up with the telephone and, and all that yeah. stuff? Is that... Yeah. How um, The women's refuges are, are temporary. There's usually, it's like a 30-day limit and then you're out. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, that can be extended under, under circumstances. But, yeah, it's the time to gather yourself and find your support network and, and find your own place again. And what about um, – because I know a lot of women with domestic violence also there's a lot of financial abuse where they've never had money to spend because they were never given money. Although, yeah. So I know it's quite hard too because they've never had to deal with finances. Correct, so yeah. um, do you, is – I mean, it might be different now, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But back in the back then, there's no. How do women learn how to take control of their own yeah. finances and how to spend money and save money? And yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you just do it. What you don't have a choice. You've got to find a way. So, where did you go after the refuge? Um, so, I we went to my grandfather's house. Um, for a short period of time for my mum to come to the coast. So my mum had her mum on the coast. So she came up here and found, you know, a rental and, um, yeah, we we then moved here. Yeah. And then obviously you're, gosh, still really young, still in primary school yeah. and, I, and probably caring for your siblings so your mum could look after herself. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. I tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as best you could. Yeah, and she tried. She yeah. tried her best too. Yeah. Yeah. And did you – you said earlier you knew it was wrong, as in this wasn't normal, mm. but had you been to friends' houses and seen what a, I guess in quote marks, a normal family looks like? I don't know. I don't believe I did because – you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't see it. It's not a sign up on the front door. This home has domestic violence yeah. or there's no, you know, sometimes there are no clues that this is going on. So, no, I couldn't say that I looked at other families and go, oh, they're different to us. Um, alcohol was obviously a big part, alcohol and substance abuse um, was a big part of my my parents' circle of friends too. So, that was pretty normal. Um, mm. I don't know what happened when we left. Yeah. Much like they probably didn't realise what was happening yeah. when they left. Yeah. So your fresh starts on the Central Coast. Yeah. And you start at which primary school? Camwall. Yeah. Um, it was the first school that I'd been in for longer than 12 months. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Went to Camwall um, to year six and then I went to Gorokin High School. So is this just a really good base as far as fresh start on the coast new friends place that you could call home and feeling safe was that kind of is that the, the change up here do you feel like that sliding door moment where this is where things start to look up and things start to change um it was a great opportunity to break free from that cycle but with that then um i had my own issues growing up obviously it was never dealt with properly now i look back there was none of that intervention of counseling and discussing that sort of stuff um I had problems with my dad and our relationship because of his substance and alcohol abuse um so then that became a bit of a problem for me as I sort of hit my teens Mm. I started drug and alcohol abuse myself um and I hit a pretty rock bottom point in my early late sorry late teens um I had a pretty heavy drug abuse issue um, and alcohol issue and I had a breakdown at 20 um, completely broke down tried to take my life several times and I had to move back home with my mum and that was quite toxic because of my mental health issues and and obviously her previous past but um, yeah she worked really damn hard to get me back on track to the point where she would come to my counselling sessions and just talk for me because I couldn't, I just, I lost everything. I, I couldn't talk. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember passwords. I, I'd lost my phone. I'd lost everything. Mm. And I just had to start from scratch. And I 
I did get services involved. We knew a lovely lady that runs the North Lakes uh, Community Centre, um, luckily through my brother's playing soccer. And she just laid it out for me and said, we're going to give you everything you need. Um, because it was that point where I had two choices. I could die because that's where I was going mm-hmm. or I could stop the cycle and live the life I was supposed to live. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was given some counselling, a lot of counselling. Um, I had a life coach who basically saved my life, um, psychiatrists, psychologists. And is this all through um, like community services? Because yeah. I imagine even back then it wasn't readily available. No. Like, or even financially. I mean, was- no. I mean, the mental health services um everyone knows that there are major problems there there's not enough funding there's not enough staff there's not enough beds there's not enough and so I was basically given the option to go into a rehab or go home that was my only two options and I to my parents so I chose chose my parents mm-hmm. um I tried to get into a rehab facility and they said if you are suicidal we don't accept you and so they was like, well, they kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> my substance abuse is because of my mental health issues. Like I need both. So I ended up going to AA locally yeah. um, and kept up with my therapy for many, many years, mm-hmm. uh, which, yeah, got me to where I am today, definitely. Huge. So this is all at 20? 20. Yeah, I was wow. going to AA at my 21st birthday. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I still, I can still enjoy a drink now, but I don't have that. I don't drink to numb or to, yep. you know, block something out. Mm. I still have memory loss. still have blackout moments I can't remember. And is this just because there was so much going on in, in your brain yeah. and in your head? You yeah. just had to yep. put it to the side and... Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't process it, so... Yeah, squash it, it down, instead. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's but, huge. you know, I left, I finished year 12 and I I loved houses, so that's what got me into real estate. Mm. I've been with my husband for 17 years. We have a nine-year-old and, yeah, I've got a good relationship with my family. Yeah, you've done the work. Yeah, it's still hard work. <laughs> but you've done the, you've done the work, you've done yeah. the training, yeah. years and years of training. So when you left year 12, um, and like I said, you so say you're 17, 18, and you're going through all this and you get to your 21st birthday. And yeah. So when did things start to turn around as far as, you know, you've, you're going through all these processes and you're getting all the counselling and you're really yeah. looking at your life and trying to make changes? When did you... When did it sort of start to go on the up? When did it start to change? It was at breaking point. That's when it went up because it was either a hole in the ground or it was up. Yeah. That was it. There was no more options there. I'd run out of options. And so that would be my t- point where it went up. It yeah. was hard work. Um, it was painful. It was stressful. It was, you know, I had angry points and I had sad days, but that was up because it wasn't a hole in the ground. Yeah. And talk to me about your friends at that point and your family and your networking. Did you have a village around you or was it quite isolating? Um, No, I think I isolated myself from a lot of my friends. I still have a couple of, a handful of friends from that time in my life that have been there for me ever since. Um, Unfortunately, my girlfriends that I was living with at the time, she's still one of my closest friends. Um, but she had to come home to the blood throughout the house. Mm. Um, from one of my times that I tried to take my life, that was that that was the end there. That was mm-hmm. that point. Um, but other than that, I had to make a break from a lot of people because of that substance abuse. Mm-hmm. So I had to make choices about who I was associating with because I have an addictive nature from my mental health issues. Um, so I really had to choose who I wanted to surround myself with to ensure that my recovery was forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still see a lot of people around, obviously being on the coast and, you know, we're all polite. But, yeah, I, I think I, at that point I realised I didn't need a lot of people. No. Um, close-knit. Yeah. yeah. But from then, I, you know, I met new people. 
and good people. Yeah, really good friends that I've held dearly. True supporters. Yeah. It's all about true supporters, it isn't is, it? It is, yeah. So when you said, you know, obviously getting into real estate the way you have, yeah. you're a property manager here. Um, how old were you when you got into property management? Uh, 22. Yep. 22, 23. And having that independent stability full-time work believing in yourself doing the work how did you do you leave did you leave a lot of that behind or did you start thinking okay I can help other people I can start making a difference even if it's only for one person because a lot of people would want to just go that's it I'm not talking about it that was then yeah you're not one of those people no um I would never hid where I came from um, or my, my my abuse issues, my substance abuse issues, my mental health. I've never hidden that. There's nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many people that go through it that it's not unusual or abnormal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I am diagnosed with clinical depression, so I do physically have a chemical imbalance. Um, and it's so common these days like why why hide it there's nothing to hide it's just make it makes me who I am it's a makeup of me Mm -hmm. so I never put it away I never walked away from it it was it's always going to be there part of my life but it probably wasn't until um later in my career after I came in at a blazing 22 year old know-it-all and got put in my place several times. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, once I finally truly understood the whole makeup of property management, um, I started to think, I think I've got more here to give. I've got so much knowledge now. I've really dedicated my life to this career that I learnt it inside out. Um I can pass that on for free. It's something I can give. And so I did um, get in contact with a local uh, community organisation, Coast Shelter, and I reached out and I said, hey, um, can we catch up? I spoke to a lovely lady, Nicole, and I said, I want to catch up. I want to see what I can offer. So we caught up and we talked about some options. They already had another Um, local real estate that's doing really good things has done for many years and they donate gifts every year for Christmas Mm -hmm. for the kids Um, and I said right well this is what I know like what can I do with that and she said that would be amazing information to give Mm. to some of these women including our staff and so we set up our first workshop um, at a local women's refuge I was a bundle of nerves <laughs> I was shaking and sweating so how old are you at this point I was it was only probably about five years ago so yep. you know 23 yeah <laughs> 33 34 yep. um yeah I had my best friend who I still work with today my colleague Shay with me and I just I just gave them basic knowledge of how to apply right through to how to maintain a rental and um you know even up to vacating that rental and it's such basic information to to us real estate agents and yet it was invaluable um and I got really good feedback from that and so I expanded that and I went and did another talk at Coast Shelter um I then moved into youth services so then I did another workshop with the youth uh, that were struggling on the coast. And then I made some really good alliances with some staff from the local fax offices who I still work with regularly. Um, And once the domestic violence laws changed in rentals, Residential Tenancy Act for New South Wales, I got up on that and I, I did some talks to property managers, our fellow property managers, um, and I also recently, obviously COVID's been really hard to do any workshops, but I did squeeze one in before this last lockdown for the disability services in the mental health sector. So it's just giving that all my knowledge that I have, I can just give it for free. Yeah. I give my time. Fortunately, Wisebury has been a big supporter of that and backed me with all that. 
Um, and so it's just basically giving these guys a, a leg up to try and get into the rental market. So you mentioned before with legislation and laws changing, was it really hard for domestic violence victims to find a place? Um, or It still is. It still is. Yeah. But, for example, I had a tenant who just before these reforms came through, she had to leave her home immediately because of a major stalking issue. Um, he was hiding within the premises. She had to leave right there and then. And so, unfortunately, the house had to be cleaned, belongings had to be removed and things like that. And that was great that the landlord had insurance to cover that. However, the insurance policy then went that tenant, Mm. um, which is a really hard pill to swallow. And I understand that tenants need to be responsible, but these are not normal tenancy issues. These are horrendous Mm. issues that had to be addressed. The reforms came in and now these tenants are no longer responsible for that kind of those claims yeah based on you know we're not talking normal circumstances these are severe circumstances so they haven't got that baggage following them around no, if they not. do have to flee in the middle of the night absolutely and they don't get time to do a deep clean before they go or even pack their belongings like yeah. seriously these guys are leaving with their underwear yeah yeah wow so you how much of it is women young families is it Younger women, older women, doesn't discriminate? doesn't discriminate, no. Men, women, children, it does not discriminate. There is, yes, there's probably a, a larger uh, amount in that younger age. They're a lot more vulnerable when they're younger, but it surely does happen and it happens to business people. Mm. It happens to higher-ranking you know, people in big corporations, mm. not just those that are on welfare. The lows, like that stereotype of it's, that. Yeah, yep. it really happens everywhere. Mm. So the work you're doing is phenomenal and how you've got, you know, young family of your own and you're working full time. So where do you find time? You just make time. Yeah, I make time if I get a phone call for a referral, it's priority. It really is. And my daughter is fully aware of this. My daughter has um, been to workshops with me, mm. you know. My husband owns a business. It's a lot harder for him to take time off if she's ill. So she comes with me. Yeah. <laughs> and so she understands – she has an understanding of what goes on in the world to a point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for me, I really want her to enjoy being a child. Mm. I missed out on that. I really – believe that she needs a childhood um but she has an understanding and so she knows that that is really important to me um she recently donated her whole bedroom of toys she decided she'd grown out of them and um she came to me and she said mom I'm ready you're right I am too old for these toys I'm ready I'm ready to get rid of them but they have to go to the women's refuge yeah and so that was the I think the third time over the years that she's donated to the Women's Refuge. Mm. So I have given her that sort of worldly knowledge of what does go on in the world and why it's really important to help people yeah. in need. Now, just going to that, because it's not widely publicised where these refuges are for obvious no. reasons. No. And I know a few people where they want to donate, but you can't just look it up. It's not just online with an no. address. So um, where, if you've got, you know, I, I know I spoke to someone um, in the on the northern end of the coast and she said, just things like mattress protectors, you know, yeah. like we just need – so I did a big drive with a few people about just every time you just go to Kmart or just grab some mattress protectors, yeah. single dub, you know, mm. and just start stocking up. But where do you where do you drop this stuff if you don't know where to go and where to, what to do? Yeah, Coast Shelter. They've got a huge um, office in Gosford, but they will – they will take your donations there. And they'll distribute it to where it needs they will to distribute, go. Yeah. Yeah. And is it everything and anything? I believe so. I think COVID has restricted a few things. Mm. But it's common sense really what mm. you can and can't donate. Yeah. They're just things like, you know, toasters and yeah. just the most basic things. Basics. Yeah. Kettle. 
mattress protectors, yeah, clean sheets. And everything. And, yeah, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Anything. Because like I said, some of these women, some of them are fortunate enough to be able to gather their belongings, but some of these people are just leaving with nothing, like honestly. Not even a handbag. They just take what they can for their kids and that's it because mm. obviously their kids are always priority. Yeah. So particularly over Christmas time, um, and we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, but over Christmas time if it's just toiletry packs and things like that, is that the best thing to do? Just get it down to co-shelter, yeah, do a drive? Yeah, There is Catholic Care and Uniting who are also are great organisations, local organisations um, mm. that are helping with with these situations mm-hmm. but um look I- any organization on the coast that helps with mental health homelessness anything like that anywhere you can find them and what about time if people have got a little bit of time i believe you can donate some time to coast shoulder for feeding the homeless they do you know the dinners and things like that so again coast shoulder is the is the number one go-to on our in our area yeah yeah, which yeah. is in Gosford. Yeah, Gosford. And you say you're doing these talks, which you're trying to give just people the most basic information that we understand because we're in real estate, but they don't. What else do they need to know that we might not even think about? Oh, my God. It is so hard in the market at the moment. At the moment, I'm struggling to give that advice. Mm. Um I'm getting sometimes two to three calls a week for referrals, someone trying to get a property and they just cannot get anything and they're putting 50, 60 applications in on properties. Um, I have a little plan that I'm hoping to sort of um, bring out in the new year that will maybe broaden that network. Uh, But call me. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I have the most amazing team of property managers. Yeah. And, um, you know, I constantly put the call out. Hey, guys, I've got <laughs> Yeah. I, this is urgent. This is like – and they just come together like straight away. Someone will be on top. I've got this. I can show them this. Flick me their application. So at the moment I'm quite limited with um, my team and we do have a really large rent roll so that's – you know, pushing it, knowing how tight it is at the moment. But I'm hoping to expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. And we spoke earlier about um, there's not always signs. No. There's no sign out the front. Is there, in your experience from living through it and working with it, something that, I mean... If we notice a, a friend or, a, you know, a, a kid that comes to play with our kids, is there something we should be looking out for that you I know of? just, you know, just be there for them. Make them aware that you are there for them. Unfortunately, um, it can take quite a number of times for um, a survivor to break that cycle. And so they quite regularly will go back several times before they break free. And people think, oh, they've gone back again. Oh, they've gone back again. They're weak. They're Put yourself in their shoes, my love, because it is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it is not easy. Imagine having your family unit. You've got your double income and you've, you're accustomed to certain lifestyle. And then you just want to have that all of a sudden. Like right now you want to have that and live it's not easy. Mm. You want to be a single parent. That is not easy as, on its own. You're dealing with trauma, being a single parent, single income in a really, really hard rental market. That is not an easy thing to do. And sometimes the family is not always a support. You know, unfortunately, there is still a stigma of what goes on in the marital bed stays in the marital bed. That's bullshit. Mm. You know, be there for them and just make them aware that it doesn't matter what happens or how many times you and your spouse break up and get back together. I will always be there and I will always be available for you. Yeah. Just be there for them. So if someone's listening to this and they're at that point, like it's the final time. Yeah. And it's middle of the night. 
who are they calling? Where are they going? What are they doing? Yeah. yeah. Um, call the police. Call the police. You need to get yourself safe first and foremost. And then you then look at your other services like Coast Shorter or Catholic Care, mm-hmm. Facts. Um, there's a really lovely lady that looks after the Start Safely program for survivors leaving domestic violence situations. Yeah. So you need to be safe first. And then we're on now hopefully coming through this bout of COVID. That would have changed a lot of stuff because they women may have got the reprieve if their partner was going to work or they could have hid it because their children were going to school and they could... Correct. And then all of a sudden it's 24-7 yeah. months on end. Yeah. Um, which is if, if you've got a drinking problem, yeah, it's going to be extend you know extended because of yeah. the way you're feeling. Now that COVID is sort of on the other side of it, yeah. and around Christmas time too, what's the? Is there a trend when women finally do decide to go? Like, is it in the new year when Christmas is over? Is it like are there certain times of the year when we should be trying to reach out and help with whether it's our time or our money or our belongings and giving? Yeah. I don't believe there's a time. There's not a season for it. It's 24-7. Yeah. Um, I certainly have seen a spike during the lockdown of um, clients mm. coming through. But it's, it's, it's all year round. It's every time. And, and when someone chooses to leave, it's their personal breaking point, really. It's when they've had enough. Mm. So where are you at now? Um, you said with your family you've done the work. Um, are you in a good place? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. I'm still human. Um, I still I still battle with my depression. Um, but I work hard. I, I do have a really good support network now. I, my family, my husband, my friends, mm. absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I still have days. I still have down days. I have up days. I, I definitely have more up days. I have a really good life. I'm very grateful for everything I have in my life. Mm. I'm very blessed. But, yeah, there's still days. That's pretty normal, I think, though. <laughs> I think it's normal for everyone. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So where to from here? <sighs> so I am just working on building a bigger network that I'd like to release in the new year um, to broaden the chances for survivors getting into a property because mm-hmm. uh, that's really hard at the moment, trying to get enough stock for these clients um, and educating, obviously, landlords and things like that on, on how, how that works when... A landlord hears domestic violence, you straight away think, oh my God, damage to my house. There's going to be bikies turning up in the middle of the night and trashing the place. Mm. And um, that very rarely happens. But <laughs> So how do you stop that, stop that stigma? Yeah, so... Because uh, that's what you think of. That is yeah, exactly what you would think of as a landlord. With the years that I've built up my rapport with um, Coast Shoulder, Uniting, Catholic Care and Facts... There is a series of questions that I ask um, straight up and is the client safe? Um, Is that suburb safe for them? Where is the perpetrator? Are they still a threat? So there's a series of questions that I will go through and and majority of the time they're answering it with what I'm expecting because they've already been through those series of questions. And 99% of my clients that I've helped home have been a successful tenancy there's been the odd and that would happen in any property management scenario in any residential Mm. tenancy there's always that one um but they're all they've all been successful Mm. they've become you know immaculate well-paying abiding tenants that are just so grateful to have safety for them and and their family that you know, they do anything. They're really house proud. They, are. they pay their rent on time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Bills are paid. You know, they've never become a problem. Mm. 
And what about help for the perpetrators? Yeah. Is there a lot of help out there No, for there's not. Um, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. Um, people aren't born to hit another person or abuse another person or be violent towards another person especially a person that they um, are intimate with or have had family with or love Mm. it there is an underlying issue whether that be substance abuse whether that be a mental health issue um there has been a push previous to covid lockdowns there was a push for more support for the perpetrators Mm. um, because the more support we can give them the less likely it's going to keep happening, you know, reoffending, and in turn that makes the survivors less. Mm. Like, you know, that would be a perfect world. But yeah, there's definitely you can't you can't wipe them. They need just as much support, and that's not disrespecting a survivor because they need everything they can get, mm. and they deserve all the help they can get. Um, but if you can stop that cycle. It, 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 you know, it alleviates the Because usually they've bit. been abused or there's... Something's yeah. happened. Something's gone wrong. It's a mental health issue. It's a substance abuse issue. Yeah. It's um, something that can be treated. Yeah. And if you can treat that, get them through a program where they, you know, mm. then go on to have a healthy relationship as well. Yeah. It's a win-win. And uh, my last thing is the kids. The kids who are caught up in all of this. You're one of them. Yeah. Um. Yours is quite a successful story. I imagine there aren't a lot of successful stories that are out there because the cycle continues. Yeah. So what help is there for kids now with yeah. therapies and psychologists Look, and I think, programs? Um, there's a lot more push for counselling in schools, which is really good, and they tend to step in pretty quickly. Um, you Catholic Care and Uniting and, and Coast Shoulder also have those services available for kids for counselling. Mm-hmm. But, look, I survived um, – mum did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I strongly recommend you get them some professional help just to have a chat mm. to start off with and keep that going because it's a lot for a kid to sort it of process – but they get through it. They and survive. There's usually medic help from Medicare with 10 free sessions and a mental correct. health plan. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a lot more available now and there's a lot more um, studies that show that, you know, they need that help, mm. early intervention. But they, they survive. Kids are so resilient. Mm. Um, you've got to get yourself in a headspace to then enable them to get themselves into a headspace. Yeah. But look after yourself first and make sure your kids are healthy and safe and then everything else sort of follows after that. Good advice. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You're amazing. (laughs) You really are. No, I'm not. I'm just me. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're so amazing. The amount of help... The amount of help you give people is incredible. Yeah, I feel like it's never enough, but it's all I have to give. So I give it and, you know, if someone wants to ask me a question, bloody call me and ask me. I will give you as much information. I think that's the thing too. Like if you don't have time, you might have some spare cash. And if you don't have time or cash but you've got old toys or books or like there's always a way you can help and a way you can get involved. Yeah, there's something. There's always something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Give Mm. them a grocery voucher well this is it um uh, is it share the dignity that other um yeah there is charity that do where they but they've gone so far as not just with um sanitary items but they also put together handbags so you've got an old handbag yeah in that handbag you put like shampoo conditioner toothpaste toothbrush some deodorant and just a pack to it is if you were going on holidays for a week and you could only put some per in i think you've got an old handbag and 40 bucks worth of yeah and it just gives women yeah. like just a little bit of lip gloss yeah. and mascara, yeah. you know, when they're leaving home in the middle of the night. Yep. 
They yeah, don't have I that. know when when my mum left, like she gave everything to us. Everything she had was was for us kids. Mm. Like that was it. There was yeah, yeah. But, but she yeah, so much. And and that's what I mean. Like I know in the past, every time I've ever gone and stayed somewhere, you know, you get like your little mini travel stuff. And I mean bags and bags of it. And I used to drop it off um, and I used to give it to a friend. It was like this under, it was like Fight Club almost, yeah. like the first rule of Fight Club. Did it. So I'd give it to my friend and she would then give it to someone else who would give it to someone else who worked there. Yeah. But you just didn't know the address. There's no. Yeah. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's just people want to help, but yeah. it's giving them the permission to help and say, yeah. look, it's okay. Well, give it to me. I'll take it down. You know, yeah. you do a trip. Yeah. Once yeah. a month. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 plenty of um, options out there to give a helping hand, even if it's just an ear. Mm. You know, sometimes they just need to speak to somebody and be validated. And I think every time I speak to someone, I make sure I put in that phone conversation, "You are so worthy," mm. because they're completely worth. They feel completely worthless by this stage, but you are so worthy. The other thing too is I imagine that with the fresh start or the move, they're also looking for jobs and is there places where they can go and get resumes done or, you know, because to help them get a job, is there there services like that? Look, once you find a home and and you're settled, it's going to take a bit of time. Mm. Um, There's a lot of healing to do. Mm. But, yeah, Luckily, these organisations are sort of a one-stop shop, so they have everything that. linked in um, that can help you with all of these options. Is there enough out there for them, do you think? No, God, no. No, and the processes are really long. Unfortunately, there's a fantastic program um, that was released with the new reforms in the Tenancy Act called the Start Safely Program, and so that helps survivors... Um, with their bond and their rent to start off with to get them in the door. And then it also subsidises their rent for up to three years just to help them get along. Mm. But the unfortunately, there's so many, there's such a backlog, it's a long process, it's not a quick process. It's red and at tape? The moment, um, at the moment, with rentals going so quick, like they're just not getting in quick enough. Yeah. I know too, like I would consider myself pretty computer literate, pretty yeah. educated, yeah. and I hop on if I've ever needed to hop onto Centrelink for Ugh. certain things and you just go, where? It's so complicated. How is, this, how is someone who isn't on a computer very often or doesn't, how are they supposed to understand this? Yeah, and then you've got a call and it takes hours and, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you know, that again, your services can help you with all of that mm. and they'll help you with the paperwork. You don't have to do that alone. You don't have to do any of those steps alone. Mm. Um these people that work for every every person I've ever come across with Coast Shelter, um, Catholic Care Uniting and any other place I've been, like they're just so dedicated that they will do anything for you. Like mm. anything you need, they will help you. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good organisations out there. Yeah, yeah. Just need a million more of you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a little angel. I would love... Nothing more than to invest in like a, a hotel that's you know double story with their own little apartments, you know, deck it out just to be a little apartment for a women's refuge so they've got their own space because it's really, um, it's quite invasive in a women's refuge, although it's a safety net and it's you know sometimes all you can get. Um, going through those that process and that trauma whilst sharing your living space with other women who are going through through their own thing. The kids are running wild because they just don't know what to do with themselves. There's no routine. There's there's nothing. So um, I recently watched a show on Netflix. It was fantastic. But that's what their women's refuge was. And I thought that would be my dream to Mm. have something like that available, to have your own little space. Well, they're saying too, like, you know, um, say if a young person was in an accident and they had, you know, diminished capacity, they would go to a nursing home. Yeah. So they were trying to build, I think it was like young care or something like yeah. that, whereas it's like it's actually like a not a nursing home but it's like a nursing home for younger people. Yes. Because they're still in – just 
they've still got interest there. Yeah, I know Darren's got a dream similar situation mm. to that, yeah, for younger people. But to be able to help, um, you know, when when I separate, I mean, obviously still recording, but okay. turn off, but when I separated from my husband and I was, I had a job, I had more people that cared and loved and supported me than yeah. I knew what to do with. Yeah. It was quite amicable. Yeah. But I was terrified. Yeah. Like that first night of like finding my own place and and I was like, wow, imagine doing this yeah. on your own with yeah. no finances, no love and support from fen- friends and family and parents and living in your car. If you got a car, you might not even have a car, you yeah. know. So it's like yeah, exactly. it was a massive wake-up call for me three years ago Yeah, because I was in a situation where I had all that and I was terrified. Yeah. And I wasn't abused, mm. you know, not financially, not emotionally, not physically yet. I thought how – imagine not having even one of those things, let alone none of those things. Yeah. Because if at the end of the day I didn't have – I wasn't financially able to rent a own, I could go to my mum's. Yeah. But imagine not having your parents. No. And not having that. No. And then chucking in a couple of kids with disabilities or behavioural issues. Yeah. Or, and you just go, wow, where do you begin? Yeah. Because it was terror, it was terrifying. Well, you that can first understand night. why people stay. It's you know, I can. Can I just deal with the abuse? Like, if I've got that, <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, it's shocking. But it does. It gets to that point where you go, no, I can't. I'd rather be homeless than put up with this. Yeah. But then you're not thinking that's only if you got you, chucking two or three kids into the mix. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Yeah, it is. You're a bloody saint. So I try. (laughs) I do whatever I can. I hope you really enjoyed listening to Crystal and her story. And what a story. If you or anyone you know needs help, please reach out to beyondblue.org or call Lifeline on 13 11 14. We are going to put a ton of notes down the end of this episode where you can click on a link and read more about all the charities we've talked about, all the places we talked about where you can go for support. And if you just want to reach out in general, there's someone to help you in a lot of different places. This episode was brought to you by Heritage Media. It was hosted by me, Carly Eldridge. It was produced by Kieran Christie. Bye for now.